0: the greatest thing from quebec since celine dion and gsp a pair of siblings a couple of
1: stellar young men two brothers these two young men
0: two siblings the hard-hitting pair represent
1: canada welcome to thinking bros new year's edition where your favorite corner store philosophers trying to figure out life one of at a time i am chris and i'm alex Today we're going to be talking about New Year's resolutions we actually intend to keep. So the name of the the chronic is Actual New Year's Resolutions We Actually Intend to Keep. And uh, for the main segment we're going to be talking about why it's important to know thyself. But not in the Socratic way, just a modern paper from Jordan McKenzie I believe on uh, why self-knowledge is important in itself and not for instrumental reasons. For the first challenge, what we we set out to do is set a resolution, but not any kind of resolution, not a, I'm going to start working out in January and stop in March resolution. But we only did one and we, the challenge was to one, tune it exactly, not too low and not too high so as to actually succeed. That's why it's, there's... The word actual in the name twice. And two, set up an exact plan of, of how we expect to, to do it. Because it is a challenge for an entire year, after all. And it's not like saying, oh, well, tomorrow I'm going to do cardio. There has to be, you know, there have to be a few mechanisms put in place to actually succeed in that kind of thing. So I hope you're ready to go first. Yeah, sure. Mine year's
0: resolution. Actual Actual, And we said actual two times in the name, not because we like vocabulary, of course. Well, basically it has to do with reading in books. Because I have a lot of diverse interests in, in books and many different books I want to read. And uh, I have the means to acquire those books. And I have a lot of books right now that are unread and just sitting in my room. And they have been for too long. And so my, my New Year's resolution is going to be to read every single day. But as to make it realistic and make it undeniably doable, I'm going to say just 10 pages every day. And I, you know, I force myself to do that. And that actually, you know, gets me through through books. And so I feel like 10 pages a day is not bad. You know, uh, let's say an average book is like 300 pages or something. Some are less, some are more. That's 12 books a year. Yeah, gets me gets me through it. in, in 30 days, it's pretty good. And it's not like I'm, I'm going to read 10 pages every day only. I feel like if that's my minimum threshold, sometimes I'm going to be interested in, in a certain book and I'm going to read more and get through them faster. It uh, seems like a worthwhile goal. And it would be cool to see my, my stack of unread books uh, slowly wither down. But the way I'm going to do that, I think, is just to, to make it the last thing I do before I go to sleep. If if nothing else. In the morning, I could create some excuses of oh I have to do this thing really fast. I have no time. I woke up too late and and so I just don't have time to read. And then that makes an excuse. And then I give up because it's already too late and we're in the middle of the day. And I told myself I was gonna do it in the morning. And since I didn't do it in the morning, I'm not gonna do it at all because I'm human and But if it's the last thing I do before I go to sleep, I feel like there's no excuse. If I don't know, ten pages is gonna take me not more than like 30 minutes and delaying my sleep by 30 minutes is is not is not that much and i have no reason not to do it yeah i was going to ask are you willing to sacrifice sleep for it yeah yeah cuz oftentimes i i'm a pretty regular person when it comes to sleep in in the sense that i need i think about 8 hours i i don't need more but I can also do with less. And so if I even if I'm like a little late on my sleep schedule and I'm going to sleep only 7 hours, getting 30 minutes out and sleeping 6:30 for one day is not a problem for me.
1: Interesting. Okay. Well, I wish you good luck. Thank you. All right, so for mine, I was inspired by this very tossium video yeah. about how to become an expert. And essentially what was argued is that it doesn't only take a uh, ten thousand hours right it also takes a lot of reflection because one interesting phenomenon that i didn't even think about before is that some people drive for 30 years right from from like 20 to 50 they drive for 30 years and they're as awful as the one year into driving right at 50 and so that begs the question what differentiates people with a lot of experience from people who are considered experts. Because imagine having 30 years of perhaps one hour, one hour and a half a day of driving and still being kind of the same level. How could that be if humans are so good at adapting? And one of the answers that was given, well, actually, one of them was always going out of your zone of comfort. So the problem with those people is that usually it's just their routine for home to work, home to the supermarket thing and there's you can't really learn much when doing that even the occasional road trip that does give a little bit of a difference in how you're driving usually just gets swept up the, the day after cuz you just forget whatever you learned from it cuz you're not repeating it you're not repeating anything yeah, out of your zone of exactly problem. i don't think like it's it's about
0: forgetting it's it's more like i feel like procedural memory like physical like what your your body does and so to get it instilled in your mind you have to do it many times
1: sure sure and that's, that's just how it works because of how the system is set up. We just get in the car. As long as we don't crash, we don't have to learn anything from it. you go, right? blaming the system again. Yeah. So we don't, have to, we don't have to learn anything from it. But, and this is my next point and the main point for me, if we were in Russia and we had a dash cam, right? And every time we take a 20-minute drive, we go back, we rewatch the footage, find every mistake, and consciously make an effort for next time so it doesn't happen. That's how you make an expert. That's one of the ways in which you make an expert is by always questioning what you're doing. Why did you bring us to Russia? They they have they're popular for dash cams. Okay. So I think this goes back to our episode on uh, experience our our incompetence right and it's about the fact that 10 years of experience can be learned in one year but only if you really introspect and analyze every single experience you have. You can extract so much from every single experience. So this is what I'm gonna do for every one of my days. Okay, I'm gonna set up a, an OODA loop, and this is what it means is, OODA is Observe, Orient, Decide, Act. Okay. Now, people often get stuck at some points in the OODA loop. Uh, I'm, I'm guessing I'm more of the deciding stage. I I observe a lot, I orient a lot, I deliberate, and then I decide on the best thing to do. That's what philosophers do, and then they never do it, right? So I get uh, get, I get stuck before the act stage. So of course implementing more action, but that's more on the OODA loop side. Uh, some other people, they get stuck on the act stage, and they don't really re-observe their environment. Essentially the theory is... The more you go through the OODA loop without stopping at any point, the better you become at something. Uh huh. So always, you know, remain aware that you should re-observe your environment because it does change because of your actions. And now there's something new to do and to decide because the environment has changed. In any case. How would you describe Orient? I feel like the others are pretty self-explanatory. Orient is really like the deliberation stage. And just to give context, this was developed by a... What is that? Top Gun thing marine marine corps marine corps flying guy right navy seal navy seal so doesn't care (laughs) what what happened is he developed this and the reason he was so like essentially it's the top gun guy but in real life who developed this He, Uh he was amazing everyone whatever what he developed this for is for planes and maneuvering right so for him observe was look look around look at everything orient is really okay there's a bird on the left of me there are two planes on the right of me I'm here. If I go there, there's a mountain. I can, you know, use that. That's the orient stage for. So if I now go to exactly how I'm going going to apply it to to drive better. No, not to drive better. <laughs> so at at the last ten minutes of my day, well, before I end screen time. So at seven fifty, I've set up an alarm for ten minutes of oodalooping and asking myself, "You're going to oodaloop your life? Yeah, I'm going to oodaloop okay. my life. So every day." I'm going to look back and look at the the worst thing that I did according to my standards to, you know, hinder my productivity, hinder my pride in the things that I did that day. And I'm going to note it down on a paper, on a piece of paper. So for every day, 360 365 days of the year, as one knows, um there are going to be notes on the worst thing I did that day and because it's 10 minutes, I don't, I, I don't have to just be like Oh, I scroll on my phone. I'm going to act and I'm going to implement a measure that modifies my environment so that doesn't happen again. So I'm just going to automate it's not happening again. For example, yesterday, I spent maybe three hours on YouTube. Okay. I installed a site blocker and I now can't access YouTube mm-hmm. from yesterday. Okay. Imagine that. Think about that for you. Imagine you blocked YouTube. How much would you just have to do? just staring at that screen uh it's funny the the application automatically says shouldn't you be working i tried googling youtube and uh-huh. g- accessing it and it says shouldn't you be working so it's really cool and you can also limit your time uh in minutes but i don't like that. that that feels like a parental control thing for me it's just i i just need one little additional barrier that reminds me of hey you shouldn't be doing this mm-hmm. oh right that's all i need and so Of course, this comes from harnessing the immense power of your environment, right? I I noticed this so much. I I unlocked the secret of putting my phone away. Like I put my phone in another room and everything suddenly becomes so much easier to concentrate on. Mm -hmm. That's how I developed my concentration in the last two weeks. And it's really powerful to simply not have an option. This is another thing I did, right? Now I eat once a day. Before, when I ate ate thrice a day, when I was hungry and I knew I was eating maybe in two hours and I tried to control it and try to lose weight, blah, blah, blah. Well, the mere option of eating three times a day also stipulated that I could, you know, cheat a little bit and have a snack. I mean, three, four, whatever. What's the difference? I'm still digesting the previous meal. Why shouldn't I have a snack? So that it, it opens it. But when I set up the very specific task of eating once a day and rendering it an impossibility to snack or even think about that well the first few days you know the hunger gets to you but what i notice is after that when is there's a really big psychological blockage in your mind of well i'm not going to eat anyway you know i eat at five so from three to five it's it's tough some days right but knowing that for example in my ludo looping or what i've realized just naturally is that if i set up a thing that can put me in the flow state or maybe a workout or something like that that makes me forget because it's not an option anymore. It's not even an option, so why would I even consider it or you know linger in my hunger? There's no need for that, so this is the thing. So I'm gonna OODA loop every single day to modify my environment and do my best to try to, one, find the worst thing that I did for my productivity and my self-worth that day, and two, implement a specific measure to eliminate the possibility of that happening tomorrow. For example, you know you wake up with your alarm clock next to you it's uh, you know it, it starts shouting at 6 30 you turn it off you go back to sleep now you put the alarm clock at the other end of the room you have to get up but wh- what i did for a while and i still do unfortunately is that i get up and with absolutely no problems i just go back to sleep yeah, yeah. <laughs> i just walk back to the bed so again I'm going to implement measures i don't know how but i'm going to create a problem solve for that not to happen i i I always put my phone on the other side of the room and so i have to stand up and so it's it is
0: easier and i I did like i've been doing it for a while but recently i put it like on my uh like let's say in my bed even and the alarm like sounds at 6 30 let's say you turn it off and then you go back to sleep but if it's like in my bed or on my bedside table I don't even remember turning it off.
1: Hundred percent. It has it like, happened so
0: many times. Like yeah, it, it, it's you're it's, half asleep. You can you it's can so instinctual that, for
1: you. like you you
0: you're you slept past whatever you had to do that morning, and you're like, but I don't even I don't even remember it happening. Like I don't even how, how can I consciously feel guilty or anything where I, I when I
1: don't even know that it happened. But yeah exactly you can't even you start doubting your phone instead of yourself because you can't do so much in that half asleep state so i I
0: think in a sense it's like in that specific situation where your phone is right next to you it's not your fault in a sense what is your fault is if you repeat it knowing that that's a problem like what you have to do is change your environment to help you help yourself
1: exactly no the the power of the the environment you know we, we we like to think that as humans we dominate everything no I'm going to vanquish this out of discipline. I'm going to get up every time my alarm sounds. I'm not going to turn it off and go back to sleep. Or you can make your life easier and not have that, you know, mentality. Yeah, yeah. And, and then make, yeah, make life easier for yourself by making it impossible to fail. That is a possibility.
0: The, the thing is, like, even when you make your environment work for you or however you want to say it, it's still hard sometimes. Sometimes your mind is set on on entirely something else it's like i think of uh, david goggins who's known to be this you know using using his will to like dominate his mental states all the time and just overcome every lazy bit of himself and just do it do it do it every day and his environment is probably set up perfectly so that he he does it like he says himself he when he has to run in the morning he puts his shoes and you know shorts and shirt whatever next to his bed and when he wakes up it's there and he goes and does it
1: mm-hmm.
0: but even he tells stories about him just sitting and staring at his shoes for 30 minutes you know everything is set up perfectly and sometimes you're just in a in a trough and you, you just can't you just can't do it and imagine if your environment is not set up as well like imagine if your computer with i don't know what your whatever your thing is your computer or your phone is there with your favorite distraction with Netflix just in front of you, that's that's going to almost guarantee that you're not going to do what you need to do.
1: Yeah, and David Goggins does talk about this too. He's made it so his environment is essentially perfect and he can't really fail in it because he has entered the biggest cycle of accountability there is. He wakes up every day to 40 emails of people saying, you saved my life because what you're doing with discipline and, you know, just being worthy of self-love, I'd say, <laughs> again, spoiler alert, uh, is, is incredible. And he reads those emails and he's like, well, I can't stop being David Goggins right now. That is impossible. Yeah, when, when you're that guy for
0: other people, that gives you just all the more reason to, to continue being it.
1: And I feel like if we take a microcosm of what that could be, because what he said is he had this you know, huge bout of inspiration, made himself the man he is today. And now entered an accountability cycle that is impossible to fail in, you know, hypothetically. like yeah, yeah. You know, the perfect environment, right? The strongest environment one could be in. So you, we can talk about the, his discipline and what it took to get to where he is. But now, I mean, with millions of people watching, he can't get overweight now, right? But again, if we go to a microcosm of that. Well, again, he can. So there's credit, a lot of credit to him. Of course, of course. Not yeah. to discredit him at all. Like, what he's doing is still amazing. But in those bouts of 3 a.m. inspiration, right, which in my darkest days I had so many of, of, okay, tomorrow is the day. Tomorrow I am that guy. All I could have done, right, is went to my computer and deleted the video game, which I would have played the next day, right? Deleted the video game. Also, when you're not living with someone else who buys sweets, for example, as an adult, I never understood this. Right, like we we lived in this house, where we we have access to the sweets that other people eat. Maybe you can cheat off of that, or oh, it's someone's birthday, blah blah. There's a cake. If you're an adult and have choices over what you buy, how how could you possibly let it happen that something you don't want to eat ends up in your house? I actually don't understand. I, I have trouble understanding that.
0: I think we've talked about this before. Of like, because the thing with you that that the reason you can't understand it is that going out to the store and spending money and buying the thing is such a barrier that it's like, yeah, there's no chance I'm going to do that. I feel, I feel like for some people, that's not a big barrier. They don't mind, you know. Right,
1: They order, even ordering, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So passive. Fair enough. There was a certain barrier over there for me. So again, every day, OODA looping, trying to find exactly what didn't work out and trying to find exactly how that's not going to happen tomorrow. And you know, there might just be that... My problem is distraction and let's say scrolling on some social media and the day one I'm going to implement a measure that is for example I'm going to protect the social media with a password right so I have this additional barrier and in a month I find myself just entering that password without second thoughts and starting to scroll I may encounter the same problem multiple times but after 365 days of challenging myself to do that Even if a problem repeats itself 10 times, in a year I'm not going to have that problem. And that is kind of a guarantee if I stick to this. So, yeah, these are our actual New Year's resolutions. For real, for real. So, you know, we would challenge you, the the listener, to find something that is realistic, number one, very, very, very important, and not... Not realistic to the image you think you might be in 2024 because there's such a disconnect between you right now, the weak you, and whatever's going to happen next year. No, no, no. Something you could do today and should in fact do today because years don't really exist, right? Oh, by the way, happy new year to all non-Christian conforming calendar people. Happy holidays. So um, that's that's number one. So realistic. For me, I said it. 10 minutes a day, right? Uh, in that 10 minutes, I can think about, for two minutes, I can think about the worst thing that happened. For five minutes, I can think about how I can prevent it. And the other three minutes is, for example, downloading an app that restricts my access to YouTube, for example. And yeah, I, I like our resolutions, I don't know if they sound
0: small. I, I guess, yeah, they sound small. You know, every day it's it's not that big of a deal to read 10 pages or to spend 10 minutes on something. But you just extrapolate over a year or over your whole future hopefully that's something we keep you know yeah and that adds y- up y- you can so read, very quickly you
1: can read 10 classics like you can beat 10 Richard. classics richer in 2025 Four, you, yeah. right. you uh, right tw- no 2025 well okay yeah january 1st 2025 and I can literally fix 365 problems of <laughs> in my life. And you're going to be richer than that probably because 30, uh, 10 pages isn't very ambitious. And for me, I mean, I, I think it's ambitious enough just because it's, you know, it's, it's kind of a, it's not really the doing part of my day. It's more of like a, a reflection time that will very much affect the doing part of my day. You, it's like actually doing something in, in a way. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. For me, it's things that are going to give me tools to do more efficiently. So Jordan McKenzie wrote this philosophical paper called Knowing Yourself and Being Worth Knowing. And essentially what it argues for is that there are non-instrumental. So instrumental means for another end that, that serves another purpose than itself, right? For example, I guess you would instrumentally eat an apple to satisfy your hunger. Like, you're not eating an apple for its own end. I don't know, it's not the best example, but... Yeah, probably not. Like, an easy example is just, if someone reads a book to
0: later seem smarter and tell someone, oh, I read this book instead of for the enjoyment of it, uh, that's an instrumental reason to read a book. And if you read a book for the sake of reading a book, then it's non-instrumental.
1: Yeah, so... Usually the way we would describe self-knowledge is kind of in instrumental ways. I guess if you you go back to my OODA loop example, it's like, oh, I should, you know, I should analyze the way I act in a day to try to make myself more productive. But essentially what Jordan, which is a woman, argues for in this article is that there are non-instrumental reasons to know yourself. A word that I like to use that isn't used in this article is autotelic, which means for its own purpose. Now, the problem is, well, actually, I have two problems for this, okay? this whole mission right let me let me put it out at the outset. Maybe you'll understand it better than someone who hasn't uh read the article yet, but number one, why why right? what? if if there are if there will always be instrumental reasons to know yourself, such as you know augmenting productivity, making your relationships better, blah blah blah, why argue? Or something non-instrumental, such as, you know, knowing yourself for the purpose of knowing yourself. We'll get to why, like the way it's argued for, but even the way it's argued for, of why that's important, doesn't really confirm anything about why why said this mission from the outset. As with my example for the book, or with running, let's say, if you do
0: it for instrumental versus non-instrumental reasons, there's a sort of enjoyment and stress-free living when you do something for non-instrumental reasons when you care for something for the sake of of caring for it or where when you which is what love is described as uh which I, I like that definition of love when you do things for their own reason you're as you said earlier in the flow state and you lose yourself in life and that's when you're stress and anxiety free and you understand 100 percent your purpose and so i the i i sort of have a guttural reaction to what you just said of like oh there's always instrumental reasons to know yourself and to do these things that's not how i want to live life though i don't want to live life by saying okay i'm gonna discover how i feel when this happens because well i guess that's bad examples it's just a a whole feeling i get from instrumental reasons of you know caring about yourself and knowing yourself it's just It's always, you're always one step separated from yourself and you're not just directly living in the moment. And I think that applies with self-knowledge just as it does with activities in general.
1: Okay. I understand. I love autotelism, right? But here's, here's where my problem comes in. What is described isn't really for its own purpose because literally in the abstract, it says, rather we have a tendency to treat self-knowledge as its own end. In this article, I vindicate this tendency by identifying a moral reason that we have to value and seek self-knowledge that is independent of the reason that we have to value the beneficial ends that it helps to us achieve. So you're talking Again, about the moral part? Yeah, it's moral.: Yeah, th- th-
0: th- that's what I was going to ask you. Um, I-, I think this gets into I don't know, I don't know if I want to call it technical, philosophical stuff, but I, I think I know what you're going to say. Like I mean that—that's what it means to for its know, own end. For its own end is to just have, just morality is just a category, and within within the category of moral reasons, you have a bunch of non-instrumental reasons within that, and that give reasons to do things.
1: Okay, number one, I understand how that would apply. For example, for for running, for me, for a long time, I couldn't enjoy running because it was done to lose weight. But when you actually just take time. I guess a walk would be a good idea too, right? People listen to podcasts, try to distract themselves, try to go to new mountains, new hiking places. But ultimately, you know, the ph- the philosopher's walk, the Kierkegaard kind of walking is just listening to nature, right? Listen to the bird chirp. Think about how how much it took for that bird to get there. How many worms had to be unlucky enough after a rain to come out of the earth. And look at the sun, look at the leaves rustling in the wind. And that is kind of my best description of autotelism, because even the way I ultimately described my autotelism in running, which is running for the enjoyment of running, there are still components of kind of hedonism or happiness seeking in it, right? I guess we could relate that to mor- morality, the happiness seeking part of it, where I kind of do it for the runner's high at the end, I kind of do it for the endorphins, I kind of do it because. It's a hard thing and just using your cardiovascular system feels good in a way. Like if it genuinely just stopped feeling good and I stopped feeling good after it and it stopped giving me the energy boost for the rest of the day, would I still do it? And if the answer is no, which it probably is, did I find autotelism in it? Not really. So, I mean, you're kind of arguing autotelism doesn't exist. Well, in a way. It's like, always
0: instrumental. Yeah, I what do you like do in it? a way? That, that's... You you took us from self-knowledge, saying that that's uh, instrumental, and then you took it to, to your a, a best example of autotelism and disproved that. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, I mean, yes, I'm saying that I came to the conclusion that it's really hard to find what it is. I like to think that it exists, but what I certainly can say is that this article didn't prove that such a thing existed. Now, you said, you know, oh, there, there's this deeper thing, and... For its own end can sometimes just mean for moral reasons. But the intro starts in the following way, right? Why should you know yourself? Within moral philosophy, this question is typically answered in explicitly instrumental terms. Self-knowledge could be a means to moral virtue, or Aristotle for example, autonomous self-governance, and well-being, while its absence opens doors to viciousness. That is all she ends up arguing for. All of these instrumental reasons she gave, such as reaching moral virtue, self-governance, as well and well-being, are the moral, (laughs) moral ends that she describes by the end. No, no. Yeah, they are. No, no, no,
0: no. All she describes is legitimately just curiosity. The path she takes is we're we're just inherently curious, not inher. Well, yeah, inherently curious when we are in a loving relationship with someone, and that well i mean i have nothing else to say because that's what it is it's just curiosity about ourselves because we love ourselves look
1: i think we it's can it's not
0: develop she, she doesn't talk about development of moral virtue
1: yeah but well first of all she literally says the word the word moral reason in the abstract as i said yeah but it's not the development of so moral virtue it's a different virtue. morality what is
0: it no it's not a different morality the the, the 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 like the path you take is she's saying we think of it as okay we seek self-knowledge in order to develop moral virtues but the order is different we have a moral reason
1: to seek self-knowledge so it just stems like it's, it's it it is a reason itself i heard you say the twice like the same thing twice but w- maybe we can just like take a- take everyone through the argument one of the things she gives maybe this can go back to our you know unreleased episode restricted library section episode on altruism where we oh, kind that's of not released oh it's not released, no. <laughs> Where we, 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 you know, we kind of said that ultimately whatever you're doing, you're going to feel good about it. So what is true altruism? And that is kind of the the deepest you can dig where you give blood because you know you're helping someone and that makes you feel good. And deeper than that, there's no real, you know, pure altruism to reach. Yeah. We talked about it with Phil a bit too. Yeah. And. Yeah, and this is where the the same thing. So I think the most salient example here throughout the argument is going to become clearer where this is placed, but is when she says, sometimes we put the interests of others that we love above our own or just have a a genuine interest in them. But the problem with that is ultimately is because it will make us feel good. Ultimately is because we know that if we don't, for example, sacrifice a poker night with her friends to go out on the St. Valentine's Day with her girlfriend because she'll feel left out because all of her girlfriends went on a date with their boyfriends and it's a whole debacle and then she's like well I already told you we're gonna break up if I gave you this ultimatum last time and the same pattern is happening again and then we <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. I also was took in the, the zone. worst example, dude. You're going to play the, poker on Valentine's Day? I was, I was in the zone, dude. No, but it's, it's big, big cash mic night. Okay, so, so no, that wasn't a person, personal example, by the way. So, um, okay. And you know that while you're at the poker night, right? It's it, Whatever. You know, it's a bad example, but it's still a good example. While you're at the poker night, after the poker night, You're gonna know you did the wrong thing and it's gonna make you feel bad. And okay, if you wanna argue that the purest form of altruism is making yourself feel good when making yourself feel good aligns with increasing others' well-being, right? That's the purest form of altruism we can come down to. In that sense, yes, you can put the interests of others about above yours because it will make you feel good. Right? But ultimately it's always something always has an an end. Other than itself, if you dig deep enough, and I don't want to be unfair, I feel like, okay, but this then, is quite surface level for, you know, the, the bulletproof kind of argument that she's trying to argue for.
0: Yeah, but what your problem is, like, you, you shouldn't even get into her argument if you think autotelism doesn't exist, because that's what you're arguing for. If you think altruism, autotelism doesn't exist, then you can't settle with the definition of love that it's caring for someone uh, for their own sake. And you can't even start yeah, to well, go along with her argument.
1: Yeah. Again, as, also as a Buddhist biologist, love would only be a mix of chemicals in the brain, right? Like if, if I, like I'm, I don't think I'm being unfair, but he, here, here's the thing, right? I like to think that autotelism exists. Okay, but unless you I think, want
0: to disprove a, an article,
1: no, that's not the thing. Ultimately, I think that it's pre-assumed. Yeah. Which which is a problem for me. It genuinely is. At two or three points she says...
0: No, at one point I think she says explicitly, this is beyond the scope of this article, blah, 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 blah. And at the beginning she puts three points that she assumes, and maybe that's not one of the points, assuming the that thing. you can do something for for the sake of it. That's but, the thing, it's not. But the thing is, that's that's like a a very... It's intuitive to think that you can be altruistic. It's not intuitive to say... To, to like go that far as philosophers do and i think like philosophers do go that far and say mm, what is the true nature of altruism can you be truly art- altruistic because in the end you make yourself feel good and that's the reason you do it but intuitively what you say is yeah i just like to do the things for other people and
1: taking Whatever. that assumption I, is not completely wild i don't think i'm being unfair to to like a sophisticated philosophical argument sure, because but- she 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 accounts for so much she's like By the way, I'm not talking, like, let's not get into the epistemology or the metaphysics of it. She protects her argument against so many things, but she forgets that, and it kind of relates to my first criticism, why? Like, why do you want to prove this, and is this even provable if doing things for its own end is an unclear phenomenon? Well, I think all philosophical projects are exposed to this because they
0: can't account for the entirety of human experience. When when you argue that the goal of human life is societal development, we took it in that episode to, to its end. And I said, okay, sure, sure. But why, 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 why? And in the end, you're like, well, we evolved our biology. That's how we, how we evolved, uh, you know, societal progress is how we made it so far. So that's why we should do. You, you have assumptions and some assumptions are more uh, intuitive. Some assumptions are less intuitive. And I don't think it's an un- un- unintuitive assumption to say that altruism exists, and uh, we can do things for their own end
1: well intuitive, unintuitive, ultimately like if we're we're talking philosophy, it has to be deeper than that, but whatever, the, we can put that aside for now the, we, we we always base ourselves off of something,
0: and that something is unprovable there there's are, no, there are there, things-
1: there, if she literally put a paragraph acknowledging it or disproving what I'm saying right now, I would be okay because she sure. Again, she considers so many things. Here, here's the end of the abstract. Self-love gives us a non-instrumental reason to know ourselves, while self-respect demands that we take, uh, take this reason seriously. To pursue a project of self-discovery carefully and for its own sake, then, is part of what it's, it is to stand in a loving re- and respectful relationship with ourselves. But why? Right? Because I could prove the same thing by saying, we have instrumental reasons to know ourselves. Because we are actors in this world, we're always going to act. And actors need instruments. Therefore, you should learn about yourself to use it as an instrument to act well in the world. And then I would just have to prove that acting well in the world with instruments is an important thing. I mean, she
0: she acknowledges instrumental reasons to, to know ourselves many times. But just by saying that, like, for some things, obviously it's instrumental and always instrumental. But for other things... Uh, it, it can be non-instrumental and that's her argument is that just as i have instrumental reasons to know my girlfriend know what she likes because i want to give her a gift for the next holiday that's coming up i also have non-instrumental reasons stemming out of my loving relationship with her to to, to know her just because i'm curious about it and it stems out of the relationship
1: yeah but the fact it's just the fact that that additional thing actually adds value the mission of self-knowledge isn't really argued for that it makes it more important than it already is for instrumental reasons. uh
0: she's not arguing that it that it's more important she's just arguing that non-instrumental reasons exist to
1: to know ourselves okay well if that's the only thing she's arguing for then i guess she she succeeded in that okay so let me give a rough outline and maybe you can give examples of i i love like, as we talked about in the episode
0: we released last week, the paper we read for that episode was devoid of examples. It was like maybe one example and it's just torturous to read. And here there's examples from like uh, from uh, movie books, a bunch of examples of just putting us in, in a certain situation and brings us along much better than the other article.
1: Yeah, I don't know. I wasn't a fan of it, honestly. Of the article as a yeah. whole? No, 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 as if the examples. Of the examples, okay. Yeah. No, I usually would be. Yeah, yeah, you usually would be. I think the way this article
0: differs is that the examples are used as like a case in point. It's not... They're like case studies straight up. Yeah, and saying, see, but it's also just a way of evoking our intuition. So in a way, it's, it's the same thing all examples. Yeah,
1: they're, they're okay. It's just they're, they have the same value as thought experiments, but they're used as case studies. Well, aren't your thought experiments used as case studies?
0: Just evoking intuition and saying, look, this is I feel, how you I feel
1: like they're just a little bit more pretentious than that. But again, like I guess they accomplish Pret- their pretentious? goal. Yeah, pretentious. Oh. I guess they accomplish their goal quite well. So okay, the general structure is the following, right? Okay, we know we have instrumental reasons to know ourselves because I guess if you know what kind of ice cream is your favorite, in your decision to choose your ice cream, you're gonna use that knowledge to choose the best ice cream and please yourself for your well being. Or whatever other reason we mentioned before. But there are also non-instrumental reasons to love yourself, uh, to know yourself, spoiler. (laughs) And the way that has gotten to is the following. So when we're in a loving relationship with others, we have non-instrumental reasons to get to know them. Uh, I feel like in our initial discussion we spoiled like, well, we... It's okay. Ran through a couple no, of no, things. No. Yeah, you yeah. know what we did? We foregrounded our conclusions. Oh, what would be a good example of that? Of just... N- non-instrumental reasons? Yeah, just genuinely wanting to hear for no other apparent reasons while you're walking in the park with your loved one. Genuinely just wanting to hear about your day. You're not going to use that. You're not even going to... You know, you know it was a good day. So you're not even trying to make it better or fix something It's just listening i and I feel like th- this word wasn't
0: mentioned in the text, but that's how I think of
1: it. It's just curiosity it's just pure curiosity that comes from within and is there for no other reason. It definitely is genuine curiosity would be the the way to kind of outline the whole the whole thing realistically
0: yeah, yeah, and I mean that that's the first part of her argument. She needs to prove, and I'm convinced that I, we have non instrumental reasons to just be curious and interested in the life
1: of loved ones, and we just want to know them for no other reason than to know them. So to understand the pervasiveness of these reasons, think back to the fascination you felt towards your first crush on the, or the interest you took in learning about your grandfather's war stories. If uh, I were to ask you to explain why you were interested in his war stories over the war stories of the other veterans in the nursing home, it would be sufficient for you to say, I'm interested because I love him. Now look, you said you were convinced. The, the, the thing that I had in my head is, ultimately, if you're not an introspective person, these things may just happen around you. You may just be like, you know, I'm curious, I want to hear her stories, I want to hear his, how his day went. But ultimately, for someone who is introspective and knows exactly what they're doing all the time, isn't it a specifically tailored thing to make your relationship richer to make your memories more intertwined to next week when they're talking about let's say you hear this uh this story about the the war veteran thing and next week they're telling another story you can relate it back to this story and it kind of creates this web of interest and love and appreciation and uh Shared experience, shared experience is a big thing in relationships. So yeah, I, but I feel like v- that specific
0: line of argument is being stuck at. I I don't know if I'm following your structure well, but is being stuck in stage two or whatever it is. Stage one being you're not introspective and you're not a philosopher or whatever. Stage two, you get philosophical and you think about things all the time, but too much, and you're not actually living life. And step three is being a Buddhist and living in the moment and doing things for their own sake which is why I'm, I'm surprised that you're talking like this being a buddhist biologist uh i fe- <laughs> a, st- a stage three buddhist biologist i feel like like okay yeah people that introspect and maybe think too much think of it this way uh and plan out their relationship like oh uh i need to do this because i need to spend more time with my girlfriend because i haven't uh spent the allotted time this week where instead it should be And I guess it is before stage two and it is after stage two, just look, these temptations rise out of me. I'm curious. I want to do this. I want to hear my grandfather's stories. So I do it.
1: Fair enough. I mean, if I really introspect right now and think about those moments where I am just listening, I'm not thinking about it instrumentally. I was just seeing that, yeah, as as a voice for stage two biologists, Buddhists, but I am a stage three, so it's all good. Can you, can you declare yourself as a Buddhist if
0: you're stage two, though? Yeah, I mean, aspiring, can be an aspiring Buddhist.
1: And, um, yeah, so the next step is, okay, there are reasons to know others, right? So if you, you know, you, you have to know your boss, how, how strict your boss is with deadlines for instrumental reasons, just to not get yelled at. But for people we love, there are non-instrumental reasons added to that. Now, and this is where she says that this is not a metaphysical point of, you know, the observer and the observed being disunited and you being able to introspect means that there are two of you and whatever. This is not what it means. It's just we have ways, we have mechanisms in place to think of ourselves as a separate being, the thinker and the thought about in a way. Mm, okay. And the reason the way that is proved is simply through the existence of terms such as self-knowledge, self-love, like who is loving who, right? Yeah, yeah. So again, you can create this kind of pseudo duality in your mind and just be like, well, a relationship that we just described as a loving relationship requiring self uh, knowledge between subjects doesn't have to be between two people, it can be with yourself if you you know give give the lenience of picturing yourself as the lover and the loved so you can love yourself essentially that's all that means
0: yeah yeah i'm i'm curious about what what those two people are i feel like the <laughs> if in in jungian terms the jungian the observer is the id and the observed is the self right the self uh, encompasses the id and all your basic desires and everything that that comprises you and um the ego did i say id you said wait for which i I meant the observer is the ego oh okay okay okay. okay. i yeah. said id yeah you said it. that's horrible the the ego is the observer and so the ego is just the conscious part of yourself that you know it's it's the rational part is the philosopher just thinking looking and uh, and whatever and the self encompasses everything right it's everything that you do and is everything that you think it's uh, it's ev- all, all the desires that rise up you don't know where and the ego is sort of like a detached observer of everything that happens and that's why the ego can look at what just happened and be like oh i like that i didn't like that even though supposedly this is how we treat it in everyday life
1: it's all one thing yeah i have a problem with that because the the self would encompass the unconscious and i feel like its key characteristic is the fact that you cannot introspect your way to it until you can call it the self. So you're, you're kind of just, you understand? Until you can call. It, well, it's all the self. The self is everything.
0: So the unconscious is always in the in the self.
1: Okay, so the ego's point is kind of making the self conscious.
0: The self is also the ego. The ego is sort of
1: within, but it just sees like a whatever. Leave it for the Jungians. We'll we'll have a. Patreon episode of you versus the Jungian. uh, You and the Jungians versus me. <laughs> okay. So so now that we've determined that you can love yourself, be in a loving relationship with yourself, to use the specific terms used here. Uh, that- and, and an inescapable one at that. that. Oh yeah, that's a further argument. though. Yeah, that's yeah. the third part. The, the first part I think that we,
0: we've lined out is when you're in a loving relationship with someone else, you have non-instrumental reasons to seek knowledge about them. Then part two is you are... In a relationship with yourself.
1: Which is inescapable.
0: Which is inescapable. But then from that... And I think this is where... I think it's most attackable. I don't know. She has to prove that we're in a loving relationship with ourselves. But actually, yeah, whatever. What did you want to say?
1: No, I think she has to prove that we may be... It may, We may be better off in a loving relationship with ourselves. No, actually, no, no, no. I have this quote. I think it says... Self-identity can be conceived as a kind of arranged marriage. Uh Uh-huh. That in a stable person ripens into true love, but in an unstable one sours into rancor and self-destruction. So here, interesting. I like that. It doesn't have to be love. Yeah. But if... Well, you're not going to like what I'm going to say after, (laughs) but whatever. But in an unstable person becomes rancor and self-destruction. So here... You're given instrumental reasons to not descend into rancor and self-destruction because she all she says is, if you're stable, you're going to love yourself, and that love is going to give you non-instrumental reasons to know yourself. But it's only if you don't want to self-destruct that you should know yourself, isn't it? And that makes it instrumental in a, in a sense. I'm not saying it doesn't make it convincing that you should know yourself. It just makes it not. It just makes it instrumental to not. For example... It, it's, it's instrumental. I, I don't exactly follow, I think, but it's instrumental
0: if you want it to be. Does that make sense? It's like if you think about it in a way that, mm, it's in my best interest not to self-destruct, Well, hey, then it's instrumental. Again, so you,
1: you might think, okay, it's not instrumental if self-destructing is an instinctually aversive thing, correct? But we read Notes from Underground and we know that people love to self-sabotage, and right? We know these things. In so, what
0: sense is it non
1: Instrumental to seek to be a stable person, and love yourself. Correct. That's the question at hand. Mm. That's too far. That's I guess we do too far.
0: No, but uh, it's just it's just the kind of thing where I'd have to like draw it on a paper and follow the steps.
1: I'm not. Yeah, but I don't have the
0: working memory to to do this.
1: Yeah, look, my my general feeling about this article is it's cool. It kind of outli- outlines why you should know yourself. It's all good, but the problem is when we're saying non instrumental. It almost seems like a good example you had is I should know my girlfriend's interests to know what to gift her for Christmas, right? When we think about the word instrumental and even an object that is being gifted appears, it really, really conforms to what instrumental is, right? Like, oh, I know this, I act this way. But when we get a little bit deeper, such as well-being or even virtue, which are the things that are mentioned as instrumental in the beginning, the lines become uh, blurry, correct? You're like, well, sure, it's going to affect my actions in this way, but even if it doesn't affect my actions, it's going to affect my beliefs or maybe the way I follow this line of thought because I'm trying to be virtuous. So is it really instrumental? There's no instrument. There's no physical, palpable consequence of it. But it is instrumental in that sense because it's done for not its own end. And this is where my intuition that being done for its own end is a very unclear thing comes out where you're like well sure look if you want to self-destruct well sure it it might be an uh, instrumental to i don't know not love yourself or whatever but if we all assume and all agree that loving yourself is important then you should know yourself well that's instrumental still what what is the arranged marriage compared to what is the first part of that quote oh the relationship with the self is like an arranged marriage Self identity can be conceived as a kind of arranged marriage. I did not select the self that was to be me. That is, an a stable person, ripens into true love, but in an unstable one, sours into rancor and self destruction. I hope I'm saying rancor right. Rancor? Yeah, rancor. <laughs> well, I,
0: the distinction to me is pretty clear. It's just the curiosity we talked about,
1: right? I, um, I'm just talking about like non instrumental reasons for self knowledge. So satisfying the natural curiosity you have towards yourself is a good reason to know yourself and seek that knowledge. And then there's, of course, I guess we, we can just end the fourth part of the argument, which is self-love gives you the reason and self-respect gives you reasons to do, it, you, right? to do it well. Yeah, propels you to do it well, something like that. So it's the fuel, I would say. Here's the other thing that she did that she, uh, that I don't really like. I think there's this, I think, woman who was uh, pregnant at a young age and uh, developed a, quite a low self-worth because of the situation she was put in. And yet, during an interview, she was asked about whatever the, those people are asked about. And then she kind of made it obvious that she wanted to get to know herself and connect with her past, despite everything that it meant. Yeah. So that was a good proof that you're stuck in a relationship with yourself, might as well make it loving. And even if instrumentally you might think, well, this is going to cause her pain and whatnot, there are still reasons to, to, to kind of learn to know herself. And this is where she spins these examples to be good for her point and where I think she uses them more, less as thought experiments and more as case studies, because here is a quote from earlier a deficiency of self-love is often ac- accompanied by an indifference towards self-knowledge i feel i feel like it counteracts that that example well
0: what, what the i i love myself and so what i do is just seek self-knowledge all the time it's particularly hard for that woman because she uh, lacks self-love so she was an exception to what I, what I just said well she's not an exception she's still has it. She has a bit of self-love, but less than most people. And that's why it's particularly hard for her to uh seek and want self-knowledge. Well, not hard for her to want
1: self-knowledge. It just doesn't happen. Okay. Anyway, do do you think we outlined like the entire structure clearly or what? <laughs> <laughs> or what? Uh
0: sure. Yeah, there there's there's some steps with the self-respect that are not a hundred percent clear to me, but yeah.
1: Yeah. So What was the example of respecting others? So essentially, I think by the end, it's kind of clear to her that anything she can argue for, for others is going to transfer to the self because she made this comparison of the you know the lover and the loved in the self identity. And I guess what do you remember any examples of why respecting others might propel us to know them well? Uh, I mean, again, just as I said it, it feels self-evident, but yeah, yeah. I also don't like saying it's self-evident in philosophy papers because that's a i think the example used in that part is the married couple
0: and the husband doesn't have any respect for his wife because he doesn't well and the result of that is that he doesn't seek true knowledge about her what he does is every time she says something that doesn't conform with his idea of her which is not truly her uh, he modifies that idea those statements to fit his idea. And so he doesn't really have respect for her and doesn't seek true knowledge about her because he doesn't
1: respect her. I think yeah, that and, was a little bit earlier in the article. I'm not sure that was the self-respect part. But that makes it. sense, no? <laughs> like, and it would transfer to the self in the sense that
0: if you don't respect yourself, uh, you're not going to seek knowledge about yourself because, I don't know, it might, it might hurt your self-image.
1: Yeah, so l- one last thing to mention is that... The type of knowledge we should know about ourselves, uh, she, she mentions that it's, it's not important to know, for example, which sock you put on first in the morning. Is sub- the, the, the important part is substantial self-knowledge. Yeah. And specifically what this means, and here's another situation where I can, I can hate on it because of the vagueness. Yeah, there was a quote about emotions and
0: tendencies.
1: and Substantial self-knowledge is self-knowledge that pertains to facts about what makes us happy, what we value, what our characters are like, where our abilities and aptitudes lie, how we feel emotionally, and what we believe. Again, I feel like I could spin all of these into instrumental reasons. You, 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 you certainly can, and you, you can do it with other people too, right? You, you can spin, spin it
0: so you say, the val- knowing the values of someone else can be instrumental because you want to do this or that. You can make it instrumental if you think about it and if you want to use it as an instrument. But if it stems from love and curiosity, then it doesn't have to be instrumental.
1: Okay, so okay, if 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 autotelism exists for you, right? Practical, practical. Autotelism exists in your head, and you think it's useful. Then perhaps reading this paper can help you frame it in a way where self-love is mandatory, or at least at least preferable, and A result of that is that self-knowledge and acquiring it and self-respect are, you know, good reasons to do so. Uh, Or good reasons, are good things to pursue. Are good ends to pursue for their own sake.
0: Maybe if you're stuck in phase two and you're thinking and you want to do things, what do I want to do? You want to do things autotelically, but then you're like, oh, knowing myself and doing things to explore my personality and everything is instrumental and it's not real and I shouldn't do it. And you sort of convince yourself and rationalize yourself into not wanting to discover yourself and you find this argument convincing, then this article can sort of reassure you and say, look, if you're curious about yourself, it can be for non-instrumental reasons. Once again, if you're convinced by the argument.
1: Right. But for for all my phase two folks, the easy way to see it is virtue and well-being are important things. Knowing yourself will help you navigate this world in a way where you can maximize your well-being and your virtue. Therefore, you should know yourself. And I think that's what... It feels as though that's what Socrates meant a little bit, right? I feel like it's... it Know thyself was kind of a, self, a phase two from everything I know. I don't know directly or definitively if that is the case. But, okay, This I mean, this is a valiant attempt to push it to phase three. But the question is, for me, why? That's kind of all it is. <laughs> why push it to phase three? We should all strive for phase three. It's just, I agree, but I feel like I, I needed her to... Explain to me why this was important. Why, for her, phase three is so much more important than just having instrumental reasons to know yourself.
0: I much more enjoyable article to read than the other one. Certainly, but again, feels sort of philosophy and uh, I don't want to self say self-contained because self-contained for us has become so uh, overused, hacky yeah,
1: hacky and d- derogatory. I mean, of course, that's that's the goal of it. That's the goal of using it. But yeah, again, that's true. this is our job, right? Philosophy, for the most part, is unfortunately self-contained. Let's uncontain it. A hundred percent, right? Yeah, this yeah. is why we say practical at the end of every episode. I gave my two bits on it. Face two people, face three people unite. We all should self-know, okay? <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. the other part is, um, I mean, maybe you can talk on this, is you have to maybe acknowledge and maybe see the value. If autotelism is important for you and... It is, you know, maybe the the thing about me running was relatable to you and you were like, oh, yeah, it is important to to find reasons not beyond the activity itself to do things because they make it makes it more enjoyable. Well, then love just noticing those little moments of, wait, I want to do this for this person, but not because they're necessarily going to return the favor, not because, you know, I'm paying for their lunch, so they pay for mine next week just because i want them to have eaten That is like it's something that is important in itself for me and if you acknowledge those moments where you just catch yourself listening to a story that you don't really care about but you see the smile on the person that you love's face english and um and you catch yourself in that moment you tell yourself wow okay wow, well, that is love right the, yeah the the the, the for its own end kind of thing but hopefully you don't
0: catch yourself in that moment because you're lost in the moment right You're and later be, you think about yeah, it you're gonna e- exit
1: exit flow state love flow state yeah that's pretty good yeah it's pretty good you know okay i'd say uh i'm hesitating between an eight and a nine but i'll say eight eight because i just forgot my My mind blocked the entire thing about self-respect, so I couldn't really explain it necessarily At the end? okay, yeah. I think other examples were given that are were I mean, again, the the case study thought experiment examples were pretty appreciated and quite refreshing from the philosophical shipwreck episode that uh, some might hear. So eight is fine. Well, thank you for listening. Thank you for sticking through. Uh, happy New Year once again and for non-Christian calendar people. Happy holidays. And uh for people reading in Braille. And uh if you want to know more, go to thinkingbros.com and read my blog there. Or write in at thinkingbros at gmail dot com. I am currently Chris, still twenty twenty three. Chris Alex. And then we'll uh, we're gonna see you next week. Thank you. Bye.
0: hmm Bye.